we don't want to do that. Open your Bibles tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. This is pretty well going to wrap up uh, our series on the Lord's Supper. There's so much more we could say, and we will be saying uh, some more later on. Tonight, I want to speak about the proper observance of the Lord's Supper. And while you're turning there, let me remind you of a verse that we started with from Hebrews chapter number 8, where it refers back to Moses receiving instructions regarding the construction of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, See that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. We talked about the fact that God gave Moses specific details of exactly the way he wanted the tabernacle to be. Now, you would think that it, you know, wouldn't be that big of a deal. After all, you could have the same activities, uh, maybe in a different place or, uh, uh, you, you could, you know, revise the length of it, the width of it, the, the, materials that made up the tabernacle, but but God said, I want you to follow the pattern exactly, because all of it, as I said before, everything about the tabernacle represented something in regards to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every little minor detail. Now, we might never discover exactly what it represented in this lifetime, but someday it'll make perfectly good sense. I can remember years ago, uh, teaching a, a series uh, on on the tabernacle and a long series, by the way, and uh, and then about all of the sacrifices and 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 all of that is an interesting study. I, I, you know, and I might be wrong. I'm not certain that most congregations are going to benefit a lot from all of those details. But but people that have been saved maybe a number of years and well-grounded in the Bible and uh, have the patience to just kind of wade in and go down deep and stay down long. Uh, there's uh, uh, just so much there that's beyond what most people ever imagine. Believe me, people talk about the Old Testament, you know, being uh, nothing there interesting or anything. Uh, don't kid yourself. It's just absolutely, it's God's picture book, as it were, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so tonight, keeping in mind that we must do everything according to the pattern that God has shown us. Now, remember, we're not building a tabernacle or we're not building a temple, but we are operating according to the pattern that God has given to us in the New Testament. If we don't do that, we might as well just throw the whole thing out, do whatever we want to do, and then all we have is a glorified social club. Because there's no rules, no regulations, there's no standard to go by. And so I'm glad that God nailed it down for us and shows us exactly what He wants us to do. Now, there are a lot of different ways that we could approach this, but I think for time's sake, maybe the best thing to do is to just ask and answer some questions And so question number one, remember we're talking about the proper observance of the Lord's Supper, and the first question that I'll raise tonight is when are we to observe this ordinance? Uh, Now the Bible, by the way, doesn't tell us exactly when or how often 
we should observe the Lord's Supper. But look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for just a moment, and there's something noteworthy here. We've already read this verse in another message, but I want you to notice in verse 25, he says, And after the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Now notice some key words I've underlined in my Bible. Notice he says here, This do. This do. And so it's something that we're to do, not just talk about or think about, something that we do. But then notice, he says, this do as off, as off, and then as ye drink, and here's the real key, in remembrance of me. So the Bible doesn't tell us that we are to observe the Lord's Supper every week, every month, quarterly, or yearly. Now, although it was often observed on the first day of the week, that's true. There's nothing that commands us to do it. By the way, it was not instituted on the first day of the week, if you'll remember. It was the night before the Lord was taken and crucified. I mean, we're talking about the middle of the week. That'd be a Tuesday night. Jesus died on Wednesday, by the way, not on Friday, like some people would have you to believe. And so, consequently, it was not on a, on, on a Sunday when it was instituted. Uh, you know, a lot of times we observe the Lord's Supper on a Wednesday night. And, uh, you know, some people think, well, it's just got to be Sunday. Well, no, it doesn't have to be Sunday. It doesn't say here that it has to be a certain uh, day of the week. Uh, it, it doesn't say, you know, how often that we are uh, to do it. The key is that when we do it, we do it in remembrance of Him. So as to the when... I, I, I would say there's one thing that is extremely important, and there's another factor that you might want to think about. You'll notice it's the Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's breakfast. It's the Lord's Supper. I, I think it ought to be observed in the evening. Now, to, that's not a big deal to me, and I don't know that that's anything that we ought to get in an argument over, by the way. Uh, but... Uh, it just makes sense, you know, that supper speaks about something in the evening. And I'll not go into some other factors we could talk about reasoning that out about, you know, it being instituted there in the twilight of the Lord's life and just before he was to die. But the really important factor here is, and this is extremely important, that we do it, remember, in remembrance of him, but we must do it when there is unity in the church. Look back earlier in this chapter, verse 18. He says, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be uh, heresies among you, uh, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And so Paul is making it clear that the church is to be unified. And that leads us right to the very next thought when we talk about that. And that has to do with where we to, are to observe the Lord's Supper. Notice he just got through saying here in verse number 20. He said, uh, uh, when you come 
together. So he's talking about a church ordinance when the church comes together. You no doubt have seen some of the, some of the ads about the Christian cruises. And they'll always emphasize that during the course of the cruise, they're going to be observing the Lord's Supper. And, uh, you know, and, oh, that's a big drawing card for a lot of people. Uh, or the big Lord's Supper. Or, or people in the prison, and they will uh, serve the Lord's Supper. It might be in a hospital where someone will serve the Lord's Supper to an individual. Notice again in verse 18, he says, First of all, when ye come together... When you come together, something coming together in the church. Verse 33 says, Wherefore, my, be, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. So here we have that same phrase again. When ye come together. This is something that we do not do individually or privately. It's something that we do as a church, it is what, you know, we refer to as a church ordinance. And so it's, you know, to be an act of corporate worship whenever we gather together. Now, that raises another question, and that is, who is to observe this ordinance? And th- this, sadly, is where there is a, a lot of conflict. Uh, and when I say a lot of conflict, I don't mean just in Christendom in general, but I, I mean even among those that are Protestants against the Baptists, and even among the Baptists, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of differences of opinion about uh, who is allowed to observe the Lord's Supper. J.W. Porter made an interesting comment several years ago in one of the little booklets that he wrote that I think is noteworthy. He said, all agree. Now keep that in mind. All agree. Everyone. I mean, you know, whether you're a Catholic, whether you're a Protestant, whether you're a Protestant, whether you're a Baptist, whether you're a Southern Baptist, or whether you're independent Baptist, doesn't make any difference, whatever you are, all agree that the supper is a restricted ordinance. The only question that can arise in this connection is as to the nature and number of the restriction. So let's keep that in mind. Because a lot of people, are, you know, will criticize us because we, you know, put an emphasis on different restrictions maybe than what they do. And they, you know, well, well that, that that's not fair. They restrict the Lord's Supper, you know, to uh, only to their church or whatever it might be. And it seems to me like everybody ought to be invited to the Lord's table and so forth. And uh, But keep in mind, everyone... Everyone has restrictions of some kind. That's true of the Catholics. I mean, just any old drunk couldn't walk in and according to their, their beliefs anyway, could not come in and just, you know, partake of communion with them. They've got certain restrictions that you have to meet, as do everybody. Now, among, among those that would call themselves Baptists, there are three popular views. There's the open communion. And that is where everybody that professes to be a Christian is welcome to partake of the Lord's Supper. So if you've ever made a professional faith, you can be a Methodist, Presbyterian, a Holy Roller, anything under the sun. doesn't make any difference. You profess to be a Christian, open communion, everybody can partake of the Lord's Supper. Then there is what is called close communion. And that means that you've got to 
at least in some way come close to believing what we do. That is to say that you've got to be a Baptist. You don't have to be a Baptist member of this church. You can be a Baptist, you know, anywhere. Your membership can be there. And so they call that close communion. And as long as you're a Baptist, uh, and, and by the way, that's more important than a lot of people think. Embracing the beliefs, the traditional beliefs of Baptists that are based on the Bible, that's important. And they say, as long as you're a Baptist, you can partake of the Lord's Supper. And then there is closed communion. And that is what we have always believed. That is what uh, uh, most independent, unaffiliated Baptist churches believe in closed communion. That is that it is restricted to the members of this church. That is, it's restricted to the, to the members of the church that is administering the ordinance, and uh, that's down through the years, has historically been the, the tradition of Baptist, and, and not just independent Baptist. I'm talking about Southern Baptist, and I know maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, I know a Southern Baptist down the road, but boy, they don't do that. No, but they used to. You'd be shocked if you knew how much they've changed over the years. There was a time whenever the Southern Baptists wouldn't think about using anything other than the King James Version of the Bible, and now they're one of the main proponents, it seems like, of all of these modern versions because every time you turn around, you see them embracing some new version of the Bible. And so what I'm saying is don't think it's something strange whenever we say that we believed in, clo in closed communion restricted to the members of this church that is administering the ordinance. Now, there has to be scriptural guidelines related to this. And for one thing, the participants must be members of the church that's, that's serving the Lord's Supper. And, you, you know, with, we, naturally, election coming up and a lot of us thinking about our nation. And we think about America as a nation, America as a republic. Uh, we think about America as the United States. And, and the states, while, you know, individual states, they, we, when we act as a nation, we act as a collective body. Regardless of how much you love Texas, Texas does not have the right to go out here and do anything it wants to do in the name of the United States of America because we are only one of the states in America, you see. And so that when decisions are made related to the nation as a whole, naturally then the whole nation as a whole has a, a say-so in that. Now, whenever we think about the observance of the Lord's Supper, our main concern has to be for what is right instead of what's popular. It'd be really easy for us to just change some of the things that we believe, you know, drop this, drop that, and, and you know, just please the people. That's exactly the way a lot of folks operate, you know. Well, by the way, we'd get a whole lot more people here if we would do certain things. Somebody says, well, you know, I, I don't want to go back down there. All they ever use that old King James Version of the Bible. But there's a reason for it, by the way. A lot of people don't understand that, but there's a good reason for that. It's not just because we decided one day, well, that's the version we're going to stick with. So our main concern always has to be for what is right, not what is popular or convenient. 
Every example in the Bible shows us that those who participated in the Lord's Supper were those who professed Christ and were baptized first. There's never any example of anyone that had not been saved and not been baptized observing the Lord's Supper. You could go back through history and read the writings of the early church fathers and different ones and the comments they made. And one said... Uh, they, they, they were such that had been solemnly admitted into the church by baptism. Justin Martyr in 150 A.D. said, It is not lawful for any to partake of the Lord's Supper, but such as believe the things that are taught by us to be true and have, and have been baptized. Gibbon, who authored The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, said, With the early Christians, the Lord's Supper followed baptism. Now, we could go on and on and on quoting all of those men. And I've just mentioned those quotes to show you that we're not some Johnny-come-lately whenever we take this position that in order to properly observe the Lord's Supper, you've got to be saved first. You've got to have been scripturally baptized first. And... Uh, and, and so that's exactly what we do. It's the right thing to do. J.R. Graves wrote several years ago, If the Lord's Supper is a church ordinance, as must be admitted, and a symbol, among other things, of our visible church relations in the same particular church with which we celebrate it, then it is a violation of the truth uh, symbolized to invite members of other Baptist churches to participate in it. Now, look, folks, that doesn't mean that we think that we're better than the people in those other churches. It doesn't mean, you know, that we think there's something wrong with them. It doesn't mean we're trying to dictate to them what they do. If they want to observe the Lord's Supper, for example, every Sunday, you know, that's up to them. If they're going to do it quarterly, that's up to them. We're not trying to interfere with what they do. As long as they do it, in remembrance of Christ. That's one reason we don't do it every week because I think it would, you know, it would become old hat. And by the way, I've been in some of those churches preaching meetings and what have you where every, every week they observe the Lord's Supper. I'm not fighting with them, but I'm just telling you it, it becomes very evident after a while. It's just a ritual that you go through and, and there, it just loses the impact that I believe that it ought to have. On the other hand, on the other hand, we don't want to just let it go so to the extent that it just seems to be unimportant. So when we think about all of these different factors and we talk about that, you've got to be a Christian, you've got to be baptized, you've got to be a member of the church that is administering the ordinance. Folks, that's not because we are trying to dictate what everybody else does. It's that we know that we have to live with our conscience and we have to make sure that we do what we believe is the right thing in the eyes of God and to follow the pattern the best we know how as it's set forth in the Bible. And it's very clear that no one other than people that had been saved and baptized partook of the Lord's Supper. But there's another factor here that gets involved. And when we come down to the members of the church, and this is something that's going to relate to the frequency with which we observe the Lord's Supper. And that has to do with the fact that the members of the church must be in fellowship with one another. I mentioned earlier, there must be unity 
in the church. And, 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 and we talk about the fact that, that it being a church ordinance that we do not permit people from other churches to come in and to partake of the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, we don't encourage that. Let me, let me, let me say this. We don't go around like I've heard of some doing, slapping the communion cup out of their hand because we don't feel like they ought to be doing it. You know, we just let, you know, if they, and you've seen it happen, no doubt, somebody that even after all of the instructions, they'll go ahead and partake of it regardless. And, uh, you know, God knows how to take care of that. It's just my job to instruct people on how we ought to do it. It's not my job to monitor everybody and try to be a, an enforcer as to what they do. But one of the important factors is when we talk about it being observed in the Lord's body is the fact that we have no control over the members of any other church other than this church. And if the Bible requires that we be unified, if the Bible requires that we be in a, in fellowship with each other, then that means that as a congregation that we have the responsibility to, I'll use the word monitor what's going on in the church. And it's not always good. Sometimes there, there is sinful activity going on in the church that is common knowledge. And the Lord gave to the church the authority to discipline its members. That's true of every church. They have the authority to discipline the members. And we call, you know, a lot of people refer to that as excommunication. And you call it whatever you want. But they lose the privileges of church membership. They're no longer a member of that body until they make things right. Uh, I hope you understand that that's for disciplinary purposes. It's not trying to punish them, but rather trying to restore them back to fellowship with the Lord. Over in Matthew, and I want to take time to read this because, you know, it's one of the things that we hear almost nothing about today for some reason. Well, the reason is because it's not popular. Matthew 18, verse number 15. He says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Now, I'll just plaster it all over Facebook. Now, that's, that's what happens a lot of times. But he says, you go to that person alone and talk to them about it. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on, any, on earth uh, as touching anything, that they shall ask it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So here we find very clearly that the Lord granted to His church the authority to discipline the members who refuse to cooperate and make right 
the wrongs. And you go through the New Testament, go to Romans, for example, chapter number 16, and we just want to read some of the verses. And, and, and again, I say we want to take time to read some of these because you almost never hear it mentioned anywhere else. Verse 17 of that chapter. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, notice now, and avoid them. For they are that, uh, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So again, notice he says you are to mark them, you are to disassociate yourself with them. Now, Second Thessalonians, and we'll we'll end here, but it could just go on and on to several other verses that relate to this, and all of them are important. But notice Second Thessalonians chapter three and verse number six, where he's dealing with the same issue. He says, "Now we command you." Notice, and I've underlined that in my Bible, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Uh, look, we go back to 1 Corinthians. We don't even have to leave that book to see that this matter of church discipline is a serious issue. Look in chapter number 5, for example. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth for the sake of trying to straighten out some of these existing problems. And he says in verse 11 of this chapter, Now I have written unto you, not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one no no not to eat for what have i to do to judge them also that are without do not ye judge them that are within and so here is just another of many examples in chapter 10 of this same letter and verse number 20. He says, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to gods, and I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. So again, Paul is making this very clear. And by the way, they were going through the ritual of observing the Lord's Supper in a manner of speaking. But remember where we started, where he said, you cannot observe the Lord's Supper like this. He said, there are divisions among you. You're fighting amongst yourself. There's strife and envy and all of these things. And, and, and you refuse to discipline a man who is in an illicit affair, uh, and, and they didn't want to do anything. Matter of fact, they were bragging about how loving they were. They knew about it, but oh yeah, we're, we, we, we have such great love in the church, you know, we just, uh, we're just, we're going to ignore that. Now, let me tell you, this is the very reason why before we observe the Lord's Supper that the Bible demands that we examine ourselves. Go back to chapter 11, verse 27. And I want you to notice how serious this gets. 
Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. But if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together to condemnation, and this will I set in order when I come. Now, a lot of folks have misread verse number 27. Now, I want you to notice carefully, because they read that and they think it says unworthy. It doesn't. It says unworthily. By the way, we are all unworthy. There's none of us worthy of the, of the blood and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us deserve word is unworthily. And it's speaking about the man of the elements. It's talking about something that is careless, something that is irreverent. And, and, and he says that when we partake of the Lord's Supper in the manner that they were trying to do it, he said that is unworthily of the Lord's Supper. And notice the results. He said, for that cause many among you, so this wasn't an isolated thing, many among you are sick. Think about that. Many of you are sick, you're weak, some of you sleep. That is, some of the members had died. It's actually a matter of life and death. Whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper and we do it in a unworthily fashion whenever we do it without uh, without doing our best to meet the standards that's been delivered by the Lord. He said, this is the pattern. Make everything according to the pattern. For us to intentionally violate those standards, intentionally ignore that pattern, we're skating on thin ice, as it were. It can affect you physically. It can be a matter of life. And death, because God's not playing games, and certainly not in regards to something so important as that which represents the body and the blood of His own dear Son. The thing that makes it so difficult to schedule the Lord's Supper is whenever you know, and I'm, I'm not going back through the list of things that have been mentioned here, but when you know certain things are going on, by the way, I don't go around trying to find out what everybody's doing and not doing. I, 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 I hear and find out a lot more stuff than what I want to know. I don't have to search for it. A lot of times just right there on Facebook. I've often wondered why in the world a, a member of a church if you're going to post something on Facebook and you're out at a restaurant, why do you have to leave the bottle of beer there on the table? Are you an idiot or something? Why in the world would you do something like that? I, I just don't understand it. And by, that's not the only thing I could mention on there. There are a lot of other things that gets posted on there. But by the way, it's not just all of the stuff that's on Facebook 
It's all the other stuff that for the most part everybody knows about and nobody cares about. Let me tell you, it is really extremely difficult for me to schedule the Lord's Supper. And listen, I know the church is never going to be perfect. I, I understand that. I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. Not, I mean, in this world, I'll never be perfect. And so I realize that, that we, we're always less than perfect and also realize that it's not my job to make everybody live up to a standard. No, but it is my job to remind you that you are to examine yourself. And whenever all of those things are so out there in your face apparent to people that things that are contrary to what we claim we believe, we read our statement of faith, we read our church covenant and all of those things, and we say, you know, that, that's what we believe, that's what we embrace. We're a part of that body that believes those things, and then we turn around and live contrary to what we say that we believe in the Bible teaches. And, and, and totally ignore the importance of that. Uh, there's so many things that that I I wish I could talk about. It just wouldn't be constructive. And 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 I, I don't listen. I don't think I need to really. If we would just be honest about it. And maybe you're thinking, well, what are we supposed to do? We uh, we we supposed to correct all of those problems? No, we can't correct all of them. But uh, we ought to have a greater interest in the matter of church discipline, I would think, and we totally ignore that. That's just out the window. That's gone. I don't I didn't shoot somebody in the street, and my supporters would still support me. You know, and sometimes I get to thinking, you know, well, you could be a member of the average Baptist church and do anything under the sun, and it wouldn't change anything. We sure don't take church membership very serious, do we? Not whenever we can just sit back and let things go by. And uh, boy, I'm biting my tongue because there's so many things that are just so wrong. And don't you ever forget what I said. I believe with all of my heart, this is the best church in town. I believe that with all of my heart. I love this church with all of my heart. I don't ever want to do anything to hurt this church. But we need a wake-up call. We need to examine ourselves and get honest about ourselves. We don't want to do that. We don't want to face the facts. We'd rather just ignore them, sweep them under the rug. And for one thing, it's like we're almost afraid to do what the Bible says when it talks about church discipline. We got it in our head. Oh, boy, the devil will use that. You know, we'll lose that family. We'll, you know, people are going to get upset. And Where are you going to draw the line? I mean, what has to happen? Now, I'm saying all that to say this. We're getting ready to schedule the Lord's Supper, and it'll be in the next two, three, four weeks, something like that. But we're going to schedule the Lord's Supper. We're going to serve the Lord's Supper. But I, I'm saying all of this so you'll understand how important it is when you put that cup to your lips, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, and you have failed to examine yourself or you have failed to confess the sin in your life and make things right with God, you're playing with fire. No, worse than that, you're messing with God. It, it, it's almost, you all look like a calf looking at a new gate and just like, why all of this, preacher? Well, because it's important. 
He said, make everything according to the pattern, and we've just let ourselves drift away from the pattern. We really have. And uh, I know this isn't the kind of sermon that wins friends and influences people. You say, well, preacher, I did, boy, I don't know what you're talking about that could be so very bad. Well, I mean, good night, just some of the things I've mentioned ought to be bad enough to get your attention, but believe me, I can go on and on and on, but I'm telling you right now, you don't want to hear it. I'll guarantee you, you don't want to hear it. But if you want to back me in a corner and make me spill my guts, and uh, okay, we'll just we'll go at it that way. But I'm telling you, it's a scary thing to observe the Lord's Supper when we are not that serious about our attitude regarding sin, not just sin in the lives of the other members, but sin in our own life. Sin's serious. It doesn't make any difference what kind it is, what size it is, what sort it is. If it's sin, it's sin, and it's serious with God. We talk a lot about, boy, I wish we have an old-fashioned revival no, you don't. Now, I say that. Probably you don't. Because if we had an old-fashioned revival, there would be a whole lot of confessing of sin and broken hearts and tears. And, and, and I, I don't think most people's ready for that nowadays. The Lord said to Solomon, My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and what? And turn from their wicked ways. Remember that. Turn from their wicked ways. Then, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. Our land is sick. You know, we can look at ourselves and say, Boy, wow, we are, you know, we're the, uh, the elite, the spiritual elite. We're the best among them. And uh, let's not excuse ourselves until we've examined ourselves, until we've made things right with God. Well, we're going to end right there tonight. And but I hope that I hope over these next few weeks that you'll really give serious thought to what what we've talked about in these messages. And by the way, if there's something in your heart that you know is not right. And don't wait until up the you know the night before we observe the Lord's Supper and say, you know, boy, I better take care of this. No, listen, if it's wrong now, take care of it right now. And, and God might be speaking to your heart. Uh, I, I I don't know. It, it might be that it might be that there are some things that's breaking your heart uh, and things you you need to pray about. Whatever it is, let's all stand together. Father, we thank you tonight for the blessings that we have, but Lord, we thank you tonight for the instruction of your word, for the direction that it gives for our feet, and I I just pray that we'll do what's right. Lord, it's so easy to do what's convenient and what's popular. It's so easy even to please ourselves and to justify our attitude to justify our rebellion and pretend that it doesn't happen, pretend like we're really, really good Samaritans in our heart. 
we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that we're not treating folks like we should. We watch people drowning in a sea of despair. We see our own family members hurting and don't care enough to reach out and help. Just let them drown, let them suffer. Walk out of the church pretending like there couldn't possibly be anything wrong in my life. God help us tonight to do what's right. To confess every known sin. And to leave here determined tonight that we're going to be a pure and unified body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make us. Make us to become that very vessel that you'd have us to be. 